Welcome to the Cosmic Trigger podcast, in which members of the Cosmic Trigger community take the reins. Last time around, Irving Rappaport gave us an introduction to the Cosmic Trigger for complete beginners. If you're just leaping aboard this psychedelic train, that's a great place to start. This time, author and educator Alistair Fruish engages in a wide-ranging discussion with author, journalist and podcaster Eric Davis about Robert Anton Wilson's philosophy and its influences on our contemporary world. Just a quick reminder that the Cosmic Trigger play is returning for a London run at the Cockpit Theatre this May for 23 nights only. Head over to CosmicTriggerPlay.com to secure your tickets and be quick, they're selling out fast. But without any further ado, let's leap straight into Al and Eric's conversation. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry to keep you. It's okay. Yeah, we had a few gremlins here. Eris was yeah. in the house. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, thank you for agreeing to do this. Um, this is a first for me. I've never done anything like this before. So. Uh, oh, a, po- a, a podcast interview? Yeah. Yeah, it's, right. a, it's a new territory. I was strong-armed into it by Daisy. Um, <laughs> so thanks for agreeing. Sure. Um, well, can, I would like to sort of start by saying asking you what what does uh robert anton wilson mean to you personally um it's funny i i reread a lot of wilson over the last uh few years because he features in my dissertation that i earned a couple of years ago and that i'm now turning into a book uh and a lot of those texts i had first read when i was 17 and I, uh, I lived in Berkeley for one summer in, uh, in, in the mid-1980s. And I lived at a very peculiar um, uh, place called Barrington Hall. And Berkeley has a, a number of student-run co-ops. So they're, they're, they're cooperative living places that uh, aren't run directly by the university. Um, and most of them are pretty ordinary, uh, but not Barrington Hall. Barrington Hall was a holdout of, in some ways, the most um, crazy, drug-addled, bizarre, and sort of marvelously creepy aspects of the counterculture. Uh, There were, you know, there was graffiti that said LSD that you could see from the roof to prevent people from jumping, the the halls smelled like cat piss and there were murals everywhere and I met all sorts of very peculiar characters, heroin addicts, brilliant intellectuals who were, you know, crazy. It was a very rich uh, slice of the counterculture. And that was also the summer that I started to read Wilson. I also started to read uh, uh, Aleister Crowley that, that same time. So it was a very heady, heavy uh, summer f- uh, for me with all sorts of consequences, but one of which was really uh, falling in love with with Wilson and, and taking it on at a very um, uh, kind of budding time in my own intellectual life. And when I returned to this material after so you know a couple of decades, a uh, number of decades, um, I, you know, I'd read a little bit here and there along the way. But um, it was remarkable to me how familiar uh, 
it was not familiar in the sense that I remembered what Wilson was saying, but familiar in the sense that I had really absorbed a lot of, um, you know, the ideas, but really almost more than the ideas, the kind of sensibility, um, this kind of uh, loosely skeptical, empirical, uh, open-minded, playful, anarchistic approach uh, to the problem of reality, how to how to think about the brain, how to think about natural uh, naturalism and, 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 and the, you know the laws of nature in light of extraordinary experiences, and also a certain kind of simultaneous uh, embrace and enthusiasm for altered states and uh, peculiar worldviews, coupled with a certain, again, a kind of skepticism in the old sense. Uh, unfortunately, skepticism is kind of a ruined term in many ways because of our mili- militant atheist materialists. Uh, and that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Wilson was a skeptic in the old school sense, the old Greek live in a barrel sense, um, <laughs> which uh, you know is much more about being uh, open uh, about beliefs without really adhering to them and trying to kind of live or explore what it would mean to live without beliefs, at least in the strong sense uh, of belief. And so all of that was very, uh, you know, uh, influential on me. And I, you know, I got to meet Bob a, a few times. I didn't know him well, but had some personal connections with him. We had a mutual friend who was very close to him. And, uh, and, and that was also really significant for me. Just, just to be able to hang out with the guy was, was pretty awesome. Amazing. Um, was there any particular book of his that you read at that time that really stuck with you or your, a favorite book? Yeah, I think the ones, the ones that stay, I mean, you know, I, I read Illuminatus then and reread that for my, for my project, which is, you know, it's quite a slog and there's definitely a lot of you know, uh, junk DNA in there. Yeah, it's uh, dated a lot, hasn't it? In, in and and it, ha- it, is, it is definitely an artifact uh, of its time, um, you know, like underground comics in a way, full of energy and concepts and with some very prophetic parts that I, that I think have become even more prophetic in the, in the light of the kind of recent couple of years with the uh, alt-right meme magic in very weird ways. It, uh, it, it looks forward to some of our kind of postmodern confusions. At the same time, it, it is a dated uh, monster, and it's only my utter obsession with the 70s counterculture that, that kept me going. Did it's not one that I would 500 write. pages that they cut out, has that ever come to light, or have they lost um, I think they're lost, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I dove pretty deep into, um, Adam go excellent blog and discussion of discordianism. And, and I, I, if I recall, no one has really been able to, to, to churn that up and maybe it came out in other forms. Maybe he reworked it for some of the later novels, mm-hmm. but to get back to your question, the, the most important book for me is, is cosmic trigger by far, uh, not just for the ideas in it, but it, because of the way that it introduces Wilson himself as a character and you kind of learn about his own, you know, you learn his version of his, uh, life, but more particularly his, his intellectual influences. One of the things I love about Wilson, 
um, uh, is his humility in, in, the, in the midst of, you know, oftentimes when you have an extreme autodidact polymath like him, um, there's a kind of arrogance and a kind of know-it-all, show-off quality. And, you know, he could do that too, but he was also very humble and he was particularly humble about his influences rather than kind of pretending that he had come up with all this stuff himself. He was constantly talking about his influences and returning to quotations, returning to source texts, returning to people that had marked him when he was younger. So I love having that kind of a version of that story uh, in, in Cosmic Trigger. But I think it's also a remarkable book, one of the most remarkable for... Re- reflecting on the process by which one can enter into an alternative, al- alternate reality, whether we think of it as psychotic or esoteric or illuminated or paranoid, um, the way in which he both indulged his own reality creation and critiqued it or reframed it, you can really sense a lot of what's going on there, both on the surface and and beneath the surface. So it's also a good like object lesson. It's a great book to study uh, in a way, though, of course, it's his own version of it. There's Mm -hmm. not really a lot of other accounts. So there's some other some other information you can find out about that time. Um, It really uh, both is about and a reflection of this really, you know, central aspect of his work, this whole question of, of the construction of, you know, bizarre otherworldly realities and how we both take them seriously and not take them seriously uh, at the same time. So I've read that book um, many times. And then on, on the more kind of uh, theoretical side, I, I, I still really like the uh, – now I'm spacing the name is it's the uh, Prometheus Rising, uh-huh. uh, and just his version of the Leary system and the whole relationship he had with Leary was was also really really uh, fascinating. So I mean I've read a bunch, but those are probably the ones that 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 uh, that rise to the surface for me. Yeah, the the influence of Leary is quite. Pr- I mean the, his influence in in general. Uh, he is a sort of synthesizer of other people's ideas, but that's very makes him a very modern kind of character, doesn't it? Um, Leary, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that's uh, one of the you know, there's been so much written about Leary, such a complicated character, kind of attractive in some ways, kind of repulsive in some ways. Uh, you know, influential, obviously, in terms of the history, in terms of his spiel, but a lot. He doesn't get the credit he gets for being an intellectual. I mean, you may not agree with his ideas, but he was a real, you know, capital I intellectual. And more than that, he was a writer. I mean, he wrote like 30-odd books. Well, Theory and Leary, they called him, didn't they? What's that? Theory Leary is what his yeah. name when you're at Harvard. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Wilson saw him as that. Like, it, Wilson was interested in, in him as a person, as a phenomenon, but he was mostly interested in him you know, as a thinker and as a, as an intellectual. And in a lot of ways, Wilson kind of helped bring out some of his more arcane ideas and in, in, in readable, uh, form. And, uh, a lot of Leary's ideas though problematic and, you know, dated in their own way, um, are also still, you know, kind of have, have proved prophetic. And so I think that was also, a um, Important role that 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 Ra, that Ra played was to kind of uh, 
reframe and keep Leary's ideas alive in the in the sort of in the seventies, eighties underground, nineties underground. I mean, Raw is very optimistic about the time frames in Cosmic Trigger of when everything is going to happen, um, but the the sort of smile um, agenda of Leary seems to be back. I, I recently read um, Noah Harari's uh, Homo Deus uh, sequel to Sapiens, and it's basically smile, you know. Um, Interesting. Well, I, I haven't read, I've read reviews of it, but what, what is it in, what, know, what are the particular elements that life, resonated? Life extension, going into space, you know, making, you know, transformation of the humans into gods. You know, it's basically the same kind of agenda. It's, it's basically smile. Yeah. Extension yeah, of intelligence, um, you know, the same kind of ideas. Oh yeah, I think that that that, that again there was that was a prophetic uh, moment, and you know, in retrospect, they were you know more enthusiastic than they probably should have been uh, at, at what was just around the corner. But at the same time, I think that they recognized that, um, given the development of technologies, that we you know we really are in this kind of you know, Nietzschean bind where it's like all the old humanist uh, guide frames are dissolving, have dissolved. And if you don't have a positive, if you don't construct and create a positive mythos of this kind of mutation, then, uh, you know, things are going to get really and are getting very, uh, you know, confusing and, and dark and strange. And so I, I think there is something still very appealing about that enthusiasm, even if it's harder, I think, for some of us to, to uh, you know, r ride it with the, with the same exuberance that these guys did in the 70s. You mentioned um, the alt-right alt -right meme magic, which was the subject of one of your recent podcasts, which I listen to. I, I often listen to your show. I really like it. Um, the, you mentioned the influence of Discordianism on on some of these alt-right thinkers uh, or, um, and you've, uh, what can you say about that? Could you say yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated story because I think probably the, a lot of those people wouldn't necessarily know that the actual history of the Discordians or maybe they've heard of the Principia Discordia, but it's like, you know, it, it's hard to draw like really strict, uh, historical linkages because that's the, because there's so much anonymity and you're not really sure what the how the influences are working that said i think it's very clear very evident that you can just draw a straight line of cultural a kind of cultural current from discordianism through church of the subgenius and and sort of the 80s zine kind of punk zine world into the the internet into hacker culture you know, ultimately into anonymous. And then once you're at anonymous, you know, the, the alt-right splits off and the, the politics are very different. But some of the methodologies and some of the kind of exuberance, the kind of snarky humor, uh, the kind of weird mix of seriousness and, and irony are, are all sort of part of the part of the mix. And I've, I've been reflecting on it a lot because I'm, I'm kind of looking at these strategies. If you go back to the 60s and 70s and you look at what motivated Discordianism and, and Raw and the, and the Yippies and other sort of like irrational poli politics, if you will, like where the politics of paradox and irony and satire and 
and now you see it, now you don't, and juxtaposition, and you know this this sort of chaotic element. Um, you're like, well, then how do you, you know how do you keep that from from going the way that that it has at least in in that in in the more recent domain? And I'm like, yeah, I get them, You can't. <laughs> I mean, one of the th- one of the interesting things about about Wilson is that if you think about him as a political thinker, as a libertarian, which it's really important to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, if you, if you spell out a lot of his positions, it's, it's, they're not, a, a lot of them aren't that different from a lot of the much more right wing libertarians that we have more predominantly today, Silicon Valley dudes. And, you know, they're kind of mixtures of technological futurism and a kind of, you know, uh, individualist, uh, anarchism and resistance to the state, et cetera, et cetera. He's funnier. Uh, th- what's that? He's funnier. Well, not only is he funnier, but he also has a big heart. Mm. Um, and he was a working class guy and he never lost his, whatever, sensitivity to the Just, working class. And he himself was poor most of his life. He and, chose to be poor. And ill. He had polio, yeah. didn't he? I think yeah. Mayor. Yeah. And so, there's this, and, and it's not, I, you know, and I've thought a lot about it. Is there a way to like, can you find his heart in his politics or in his philosophy? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it's partly just his temperament, his, it just, his particular nature as a, as a human being was such that he could take these sort of more, you know, individualist libertarian ideas, uh, and at the same time, modify them in a way where he's he's sensitive to those larger collective issues and lib- cries for liberation and for social justice that are also emerging in the 60s and 70s. So even if he's not a leftist or a social, social justice warrior type, he's resonant with, um, uh, you know, a more up, up with people uh, approach to these things. And so it's so it's I sometimes think about that in general of that whole discordian line was that it, it was playing with a certain kind of fire. And we are in that fire now of, of uh, uh, the operation mindfuck was successful. Mm. Yeah. The consensus reality is is dissolving. I mean, before our eyes. I mean, it's yes, a, it was it, it was always. Go it, ahead. It, sorry. It, it fucked some of them, too. Didn't it carry carry Fornley ended up kind of mad. Um, yeah, I, I think more than kind of man, yeah. for sure. Yeah, he's that. That's a uh, that's a you know instructive case. Um, you, I think you can't draw any of these things directly to the position, but it certainly doesn't make it any easier. Mm. Uh, so I, 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 it, it, it's a very interesting thing uh, thinking about this sort of chaotic consciousness politics and how to. Uh, and how libertarianism has changed so much, and so it's it's a very strange way of, of of reflecting on our current moment by by returning to the to this these guys from their their seventies and eighties perspectives. Yeah, I mean, how do you locate him in the wider framework of the times back then? How do you see him? Well, I mean, one of the things is is that the those sort of generic social histories we have of the, the counterculture, and I'll think about it more in America, though I, I think it applies to the UK, which I know a reasonable amount as well, um, 
is but but certainly in a you know from a like west coast perspective it was it's all it's usually there's two you know there's two sides there's two, there's the the heads and the fists there's the hippies who are pursuing revolutionary lifestyles altered states of consciousness immersions with eastern mysticism and nature and hedonics and all that and you have the political side you have the new, you have the new left you have the social movements that splinter into various identity politics in the 70s and these are very collectivist they tend to be leftist etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. but what you have with uh raw and to a certain extent with leary and, and discordianism and a little bit with with the yippies although they tended to be more uh left radicals is you have this third line which is a kind of anarcho uh freak line that kind of, isn't kind of hippie. similar to the sort of thugs kind of Ed Sanders, exactly. the levitate the pentagon kind of thing no i think the levitate the pentagon and it, i mean in some ways to me if i was going to talk about the 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 sort of political history of the discordian oomph uh is that even though it's rooted in er, in earlier movements and this and particularly with you know insider warfare within libertarian and uh you know, right-wing circles. That's sort of the the stuff out of which particularly Thornley came. But I think if you were really going to put a marker on it, is it is that 1967 march on the Pentagon and the use of satire, chaos, and occult language as a political tool to both, you know, amuse and suggest and demonstrate a kind of out uh, ulterior, you know, sort of otherness that has been let loose in social reality and that what became part of politics. Um, so I think that freak line we sort of forget about in a way, or we don't, we don't really acknowledge it as being a kind of third rail or a third current within the counterculture, you know, and in that I would include, I would even include things like Frank Zappa, uh, Mm -hmm. who, you know, was really one of the first to use the term freak uh, in the countercultural context with the first record and he has a whole definition of what it means to be a freak. And these guys aren't hippies and they aren't leftists and there's something in between. And, and, and I think that, you know, uh, it, it, it changes your whole view of that time to see this line. And while raw was older and wiser to be, you know, too, too older and too wiser to be like a classic seventies freak, he was very much kind of a sort of, uh, you know, in, intellectual uncle, that kind of revolutionary practice. You're more working in this kind of individualistic, turbulent, anarchistic way. Uh, I think that's a really key element in good and bad ways. I mean, I, I, as I get, again, because of the, the role of a libertarian thought in, in some very, da- I think, dangerous ways today. Uh, mm-hmm. through Silicon Valley and all that, that there's, you know, consequences to these things. It's not like a uncomplicated story, but it's one that we don't really recognize as much when we reflect on the counterculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that, definitely. Um, going back, when you were talking about um, Wilson's heart and his, and his, you know, his wisdom, uh, he did a lot of personal exercises and... Uh, Cosmic Trigger, to some extent, is about him experimenting with Sufi practices and yogic breathing and those kinds of things. Have you 
personally experimented with any kind of brain change methods like that yourself? As obviously you were immersed in it at 17, reading that stuff. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. Some, some things more than others. I mean, in, uh, probably, I mean, I'm a, a whatever, 25 year meditator Mm -hmm. and, uh, I've done, you know, some, I haven't done a lot. I mean, in some ways that when you think about all the things that he, he tried the brain change styles, that this, the ones that, that, uh, uh, that intrigue me, you know, the most in a way are the, the most, the new age ones, the kind of like positive thinking ones, the affirmations. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've done a little, that stuff doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me so much. Uh, but I appreciate that it can make a difference in, in people's lives, um, and I think that's a funny side of of uh, of, of Wilson. I mean, you know, if we if if we've been talking about him in relationship to uh, uh, these sort of political currents, there's also the interesting relationship between him and the New Age. You know, the New Age emerges really in the '70s, late '70s, early '80s, and it's you know central ideology is this. You know, you create your own reality, and there's a very interesting way to see Wilson's whole sort of spiritual. Trajectory as both a resonance with and a critical reaction to new age kind of kinds of uh, kinds of thinking. But I was I'm getting away from your question. So yes, I've experimented with with uh, uh, brain change methods. I probably tend to be more reflexive about the motivations that I have for any particular experiment. In fact, the more experiment, the more times it's just an open-ended experiment, that's more tends to be my flavor. I'm a little wary of the kind of self-programming approach that a lot of people have in the new age and whatever, where you, you define a goal or define a set of things that your ego wants to achieve and you do certain methods in order to achieve those goals. I'm much more of a wu-wei I, I, I'm more in the Taoist current of mm-hmm. the Discordian chaotic line than the kind of self-actualizing side, which I, I distrust in a lot of ways. So my own kind of brain change practices tend to be more about unraveling, uh, encountering mystery, discovering intimacy with what is already the case, um, rather than kind of, uh, whether it's self-actualizing or, you know, building some, you know, working to some kind of goal or, you know, becoming more efficient or neuro program, all that, that kind of stuff tends to not interest me as much personally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned that uh, you plan to focus in your um, email to me that you plan to focus a bit more on Wilson in the future. Have you got any thoughts on where your, your um, inquiries may lead you? Um, no, I mean, other than, than working on this, this monster of a book right now, uh, I'm, I'm working on him in the sense that, uh, I'm, you know, re, re, rewriting my dissertation and I'm, you know, well, shaping it. What's the it, book going to be called? Uh, High Weirdness. Oh, great title. And, uh, it's a, it's, it'll be a scholarly book, but it's, you know, it's sort of like technosis. It's like, den- it's dense, but playful and there's lots of, you know, wacky ideas in it, but I'm also... You know, part of the goal is it's kind of a it's kind of a mutant beast because part of it is to like take things seriously in a scholarly way and at the same time just just you know dive into the rabbit holes of weirdness. 
Um, and so in talking about Wilson, when I'm, and when I rewrite the chapter, which is, I'll just be doing shortly, I'm going to have to bring some of these current questions that we had earlier, particularly about the kind of, uh, increase, you know, the, the successful operation mindfuck of our current yeah. <laughs> social reality. Uh, and, you know, br bring that those, some of those questions to bear. And because even when I was writing the, those chapters just a few years ago, like, you know, four, three or three years ago, uh, I wasn't really thinking about that stuff so much. I wasn't, it, what didn't seem super relevant to what was going on. And, and since looking at this kind of chaotic, me magic more closely it's you know that 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 becomes um you know important as well and i just hope to to see more attention paid to to raw i mean there's there's nothing in the academic world other outside of a few you know good articles journal articles not that that academia is the be all and end all but there's a way in which he's not remembered as this kind of countercultural intellectual uh, partly because we don't really think about those two things together. And, and that's part of what I'm saying is that mm -hmm. all of these, those things we associate with the counterculture, radical lifestyles, expanded consciousness, uh, brain change, exploration, radical hedonism, you know, mysticism, all of these sort of quote unquote irrational things are also part of, can be part of a deeply considered intellectual critical view of the world, of reality, of politics, of the self, of being with other people. And that's the for me the juicy part. I'm 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 tired of the of kind of the the over <laughs> the overemphasis on rationalism in a lot of contemporary mm -hmm. culture, in, including the militant atheists and the less wrong people and all that stuff in this kind of extraordinary fetishization of whatever sociobiological models and certain kinds of cognitive science and certain ways of just trying to use our rational models as a way to determine our subjectivity. And at the same time, I'm also super tired of like woo-woo, psychedelic, goofball, mystic, mysterioso and new age navel gazing and all that stuff. For me, it's the action is, is the, the bridges the mm. in-between zones. And so that's why someone like Ra for me is just one of the most interesting, most influential characters at that time. Because he not only, you know, I've been talking about him in terms of the counterculture of the 60s and 70s, but his books, you know, fed into all the stuff that happened in the 80s, all that amazing, rich, you know, not very well-remembered undergrounds, multiple undergrounds, subcultural, mm -hmm. the, this plethora of subcultures, that gurgled through, you know, Reagan America and Thatcher, you know, UK, uh, and his influence there, the connection to chaos magic and the way that chaos magic comes into our contemporary moment. I mean, he's really quite a, quite a significant and, and very lovable figure. You know, mm. it's hard, hard to, I mean, he made, made some mistakes. There's things I quibble with. There's some things I, I strongly even disagree with, but, uh, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's much more amenable than Leary in a lot of ways, even though I take, take Leary seriously as an intellectual too. Well, he's, um, he's the, he make, he, uh, popularizes Leary and makes him much more accessible, doesn't he? His, yeah. his, uh, um, have you, have you read John Higgs's book about the KLF burning a million pounds? 
No, I saw oh. on my shelf. Oh. I should. Well, Raw, just... Raw comes into that. And Daisy's efforts to put on Cosmic Trigger, she put it on a couple of years ago in Liverpool. And there was a festival uh, to do with Wilson. So quite a lot of people, hundreds of people came. So there, he, he has been kind of not less forgotten here now. He's yeah, sort of yeah. I've, I've been tracking... Daisy's stuff and or I mean just the whole the whole thing and it's it's been very uh very heartening I mean I, to, in from my perspective here you know maybe west coast or not not uh you know mostly being online for, for to look at a lot of this stuff it's there's a little bit of kind of a you know there's sort of a, a you know a certain subcultural strand of people who, who can play with those sort of references and fnord and all that kind of stuff and it's it's this kind of cute little pocket of of awareness that keeps it alive but it, it it seems like i would like i would like it to be more broadly recognized so of course i have to read uh Higgs's book <laughs> well um the eight circuits which wilson kind of went back to several times and changed and do you, how, how relevant do you think it is or do you think it's just sort of a it was an interesting exercise, but no longer really, you know, it's been superseded or has it been? What do you think about the eight circuits? I think the eight circuit is really worth uh, wrestling with. I mean, I'm not sure what it means to say it's relevant or not relevant. I think of it more as a mystic typology system, mm -hmm. the way that one would look at the Enneagram or return to Tarot or the Myers-Briggs or those sorts of mm -hmm. Even though it's not specifically a personality typology uh, framework, for, to me it, it functions a little bit like that in the sense that it allows you to reorganize these different factors of your own psyche and your own experience uh, and to sort of become more aware and more – you can move within these frameworks more. I do think that, um, you know, the the kind of – hierarchy of of uh potential that it represents um you know with the the it's you know it's definitely got you know maslow's hierarchy of needs going on there as well it mm -hmm. it, it points to you know in a way the the promise and the peril of you know being someone who's who's gotten the you know the 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 first four circuits on lock and then it's like what do you do and I like the way that it represents higher states of consciousness or expanded consciousness or bliss or these other sort of domains in a kind of naturalistic framework. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily one that I'm, that I'm entirely, you know, uh, comfortable with myself because I think there's a sort of um, – that spiritual hedonism has some, some traps in it. Uh, that aren't necessarily worked out uh, by Wilson or or Leary, uh, you know, they're just uh, just turning on the bliss circuits and you know getting in touch with the DNA and you know all that. Uh, it, it it it's to me it's got to come back to the kind of empirical reality. I think that 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 Raw did that in his own life and practice very clearly, in at least in my exp experience of him. Um, but as a model, it, you know, it's not, it's not perfect by, by any means, but particularly the first four circuits and really getting that down and seeing the way that you're related to these and that you're a kind of multi-layered 
being and that we shuttle between these layers all the time and we're constantly moving even in a given conversation between uh, different layers. And so anything that, that allows you to be more critically aware of some of the, the lower circuits and their needs and their drives um, is, is incredibly, uh, I- incredibly helpful. So I, I still think it's a, it's a solid ride. Cool. Um, you, perhaps we could end it on, you mentioned that you, you met Bob several times. Do you have any particular strong memory of him that you would like yeah, to share? Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that. It's funny, my, I, uh, you know, what I do when I meet these guys, I always wanted to ask them stories about like the history. Like I want to find out what was going on and where you were here and who you knew and whatever. And he was, he wasn't good for that. You know, he, if you talk, if I taught, my experience was if I talked to him, you know, I wasn't close friends with him. Uh, but if I started to ask him about, you know, what, what, you know, what, uh, what was it like practicing in the, you know, in the, in the coven in Berkeley in the mid seventies, he would just get into like a raw riff. He was an abstract thinker. You know, he, Mm -hmm. he liked the ideas and the resonances and, you know, seeing him read a single paragraph out of Finnegan's Wake and then unpacking it for literally for hours, you know, it was an extraordinary feat. I mean, he was, he was really an incredible intellect in certain ways. But the thing that most blew me away about my, in my personal dealings with him was the last time I saw him, which was one of the Wednesday night evenings he would hold in Santa Cruz where he would, they would read The Wake. And there was, you know, a small group of people around, cannabis activists, some people, and this is when he was in his decline. And so there were people taking care of him. And uh, there was one moment where he was lying, he was um, leaning back on the couch and he wanted to move his body forward. And my God, if it didn't take him 20 minutes. And the, his refusal to ask for help and his kind of humor and persistence in continuing to sort of live in light in, in the face of uh, these limitations, these physical limitations and, and the decline that had set in, you know, something that he would pr- had to deal with his, his whole life to some extent. But there uh, was what I can only describe as a nobility of spirit that was manifested in that, that I found incredibly moving. I've, I've, I'm often extra aware when I get to meet people, particularly famous people or, you know, people who have uh, you know, influenced a lot of others by representing themselves in the public. When they face death or decline, it's a time to really pay attention because I think that's where the the rubber meets the road. Uh, this is also true knowing Terrence McKenna towards the end is that the rubber met the road well. I mean, he, you know, whatever you it's you always freak out and are terrified or whatever, just, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult process. But when you see people's strength and when you see how the life of living on the edge, a life of weirdness, a life of, that requires you to be self-sustaining and, and to be uh, reliant, self-reliant on a certain psychological way, when you see that manifested in how people practice with this practice that we all have to go through, uh, was very inspiring and, um, you know, help confirm for me that my fondness for, for Bob's perspective, 
uh, again, with, you know, any number of philosophical quibbles, but my fondness for it was, was not just a sign of my own adolescent uh, infatuation with his work, but I think a, a, a genuine recognition uh, that he was, you know, in some ways a, a, a great man. Well, that's fantastic. I really appreciate you sparing the time and being so eloquent and generous. Um, could you tell people how they can get hold of you and hear your podcasts and those kinds of things? Sure, happy to. Yeah, all, pretty much all the all roads lead to uh, technosis.com, T-E-C-H-G-N-O-S-I-S.com. Uh, I post my uh, archive there. There's an archive going back almost seven years of podcasts, and there's tons and tons of articles covering all, all facets of the kind of stuff we've been talking about, a lot of other things as well, and links to my books. So that's a good place to uh, to, to begin. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Eric. It's been brilliant. Well, thank you. It was great. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Alistair Fruish's Cosmic Podcast, recorded in Northampton at the Lodge Studios, 23 Abingdon Square, with the generous support of Mark Can and Jay Mansfield. The Cosmic Podcasts are produced by me, Nick Alderton, with the support of the Arts Council. The music was occupied by Dr. Marshmallow Cubicle and available on Iron Man Records. You can find Alistair Fruish at fruishon.co.uk and on Twitter at Alistair Fruish. His forthcoming monosyllabic science fiction novel The Sentence is out soon. Eric Davis's website is technosis.com technosis.com and he's on Twitter at Eric underscore Davis. Check out Eric's own podcast Expanding Mind available on his website and keep an eye out for his upcoming book High Weirdness. You can find me on Twitter at Nolderton and Cosmic Trigger at 2Cosmic Trigger 3. And if you want to send us feedback, head over to nja.im slash tellme and leave us a voice message. Remember, tickets for the Cosmic Trigger Play are available right now. Head over to CosmicTriggerPlay.com. Anything then from the mistakes of the past yet?